welcome to the Impact on the Ground podcast series. I'm Tiia Sammalahti, CEO of whatimpact.com, a tech for good company with the mission to become the LinkedIn of CSR. In this podcast series, we'll dig deeper into what it takes to make an impactful change in our society. I'll give a voice to charities, social enterprises, companies, grant makers, individuals and government officials who all have one thing in common. They are keen to make a difference. We dive into practical solutions and observe the dynamics of those who have resources to give and those working with the beneficiaries on the ground. Let's start making an impact together. So today uh, in Impact on the Ground, uh, we have a special guest from the Foundation for Social Improvement. Uh, her name is Janine Edwards, and she's a specialist on uh, social impact, measuring it and reporting it, and knows everything there is to know about charities. Welcome, Janine. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, what an introduction. Really lovely to be here and looking forward to chatting all things impact with you. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about Foundation for Social Improvement. Uh, as we know, the organization is usually called the FSI. Great. So um, the FSI, we were founded um, around 12 years ago um, with the purpose and the remit of supporting small charities. And really, we want to help small charities deliver even more impact. Um, we know that lots of organizations were started and, and the reason that small charities exist um, is to create change and make a difference for the lives of individuals and, and communities and the planet and for animals and doing all sorts of amazing Amazing things in our world, but they don't always have the, the tools and the skills to be as effective as they could be. So that's really where we are. We sort of see ourselves as walking side by side with them, helping them navigate all of the things that they need to do um, and helping them get on with the business of delivering the impact that they want to create. So how many members do you have currently? Um, we've tipped over the 8,000 mark, so I'm not entirely sure. That's 8,000 organizations, and obviously within those organizations, we might have some of their staff, their trustees as individual members as well. Yeah. So what, what is the definition of a small charity for you? For us, so small is uh, less than one million pounds income, uh, and the term charity is a bit of a... Um, uh, a bit of a misnomer really because we include charities, um, community interest companies, um, uh, uh, public benefit uh, societies, um, unconstituted sort of informal groups uh, and grassroots organizations. So we're available to, to all organizations and we've actually recently just expanded our free membership to organizations with an income of up to 5 million um, because we were hearing that those organizations was also struggling to access the services and support they need. Um, and our core model is that our membership is free to, to organizations that are eligible. Um, and then that gives you access to a whole host of very heavily subsidized training and support anywhere from completely free of charge to maybe five pounds for a webinar or 20 pounds for a full days of training so it's very very accessible yes yeah, so your charity yourself 
Yes, we are. We're a registered charity ourselves. Yeah. We have so to generate also, our own income ourselves. We, yeah. we develop amazing partnerships with organisations that share our values um, and we deliver uh, consultancy support and fundraising qualifications as well. So we act a bit more like a social enterprise. We self-generate a lot of our own income um, to, yeah. that we then use to subsidise our services. Cool. So uh, we are what impact we are matching uh, lots of uh, companies with charities and social enterprises and these entities that you work with and and uh, it's very important for many companies when they are implementing their CSR strategy taking kind of a local view uh, mm -hmm. they might have a, a nationwide client base and so they have to be relevant in different locations they might be uh, having branches offices in local areas or they might be just a local company who want to uh, help specifically you know certain um, organizations and beneficiaries in their area so what would you say, what is the benefit with working with small organizations rather going for big charities who then have a nationwide uh, approach? Well, I think there's a lot of, um, of benefits to partnering with smaller and maybe local, but, but, but smaller charities can also be national or global yeah. in their focus as well. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest one has to be being able to see that real direct impact of the difference that your support can make and and we've seen that time and time again where a business partners with a, a, a charity you know it may, might be about raising funds and um and making donations but also helping to address some more of the strategic needs of that charity so whether it's offering maybe some advice and support or some skilled volunteering time around marketing and communications. Maybe it's about actually getting involved in, um, uh, in the organization through its um, some of its committees and, and structures and just getting a bit more under the hood. I think there's a lot of opportunities um, in that respect for partnering with small organizations. Yeah, and I think that approach is a good what you said that not all small, small organizations are local at all. Mm. There are a lot of niche courses that are actually mm. just like addressed by these small organizations, although even if you have a couple of million turnover, it's not the tiniest. You have mm. quite mm. many employees and you have resources to do stuff, but uh, there might be very interesting courses that the companies wouldn't even heard of before, but then they might find them interesting and yeah. supporting their CSR strategy and also help them to really make a statement with their choices of support. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a very good aspect that you might find very interesting courses to support, not just the, you know, the biggest, uh, most well-known. Yeah. But as we've been speaking before and doing a lot of collaboration with FSI, uh, social impact and reporting of it, re reporting what has been done with the resources you're given is very important. It's not just that somebody wants to monitor was there a success or not, but it's also it's the reward for mm -hmm. whoever has been supporting. Uh, and also uh, nowadays for many companies, it's it's a mandatory requirement to report on their social value delivery. Mm -hmm. If they're, let's say, working for government tenders or they have certain contracts with even in private sector, that kind of requires them to do also social value work. So let's talk about the uh, kind of impact uh, a little bit. So. Uh, it, it's quite a, a big thing to say that, oh, what was your impact? What, what did you achieve? Because of course, there are a lot of other kind of uh, aspects that might have affected on 
the impact of a charity, you know, uh, maybe there was a legislation change or something that actually created more change than the actual work of the charity. How, how do you see this? Is this so difficult that it seems to be um, the, the concept of impact? Yeah, the concept of impact. I think it's the thing we certainly hear the most from our members about the aspect of their the work that they find the most challenging. Um, and I think what we really advocate when we talk to them is, you know, you know, in your gut and you know in your heart of hearts from the work that you're doing every day that you are making a difference you're living it and breathing it and seeing it and um, but it's just about taking it that little step further to really ensure that you're planning you know really clearly planning the difference you've thought through what is the difference that we want to make you know almost having your theory of change in place which is a bit of a jargon term but really refers to um, I sort of think of, well, the, the clues in the name, really, that it's sort of your theory, your explanation of how your work creates change in the world. And if you can work through that thinking process and say, well, these are the changes, you know, in the short term that we want to bring about that we think will contribute to a long term, bigger change and show us having an impact. And then it's about putting in place some measurement tools that are really proportionate to your organization at stage of development, the complexity of the work that you're doing, your size. I would expect to see a very different sort of approach to impact measurement and monitoring evaluation and learning. If you were a small charity running a local food bank through your local church, for example, then if you were an organization working long term with people to help them overcome substance abuse or um, or prevent reoffending from leaving prison. So it's really got to be proportionate. But it's just, again, thinking through that and always at the heart of it thinking, well, what tells us that that change is happening? What can we sort of see and observe and what will we be seeing with people um, to tell us that that is, that is happening? And then it's really about using what you're learning to improve what you're doing, to really understand why what you do works, but to be able to communicate that with others so that people can see the difference that you're making and how working with you can help them to achieve their objectives, whether it's about them showing their social value as a company, whether it's about them um, demonstrating to their employees that that they're a good organization to work for because this is how we add value to the communities that we live and work in there's a whole host of ways but it's about sort of using that information really strategically yeah and i think uh, it's sometimes uh, even misconception within whether it's companies or even within charities that you only uh, measure the impact to prove that mm. you achieve something but it's more uh, it's been develop more of the development of your work because yeah. so you should know what works and what not and if something doesn't work that well or do you get new ideas based on your research whether it's interviews surveys observation some statistical analysis or something you know uh, or benchmarking even you know you you kind of learn new ways to make a better impact you should apply that to your job so the beneficiaries would benefit and then the secondary aspect of this is then reporting back to those who help you you know to get the funding or other resources to do the job yeah um, exactly so i see that a lot in company uh, annual reports and even bigger companies that they focus a lot of on outputs what we mm -hmm. call in a professional language which are numerical indicators uh, base, uh, kind of part of the impact, but they are saying that this many people reads and 
10,000 meals given, uh, 6 million uh, people helped. What do you think about this kind of impact reporting? I think it has value, um, but in and of itself, it doesn't tell that sufficient story of change. There was some really interesting research published a few years ago now, um, uh, might be five or six years ago from NPC um, that looked at the annual reporting of the sort of 100 largest charities. Um, and yeah, 90% of them great at reporting on outputs, the kind of the what they delivered, but less than half were actually talking about the change. I think it was 46% reported on the change, the outcomes that they delivered. And what they noticed as a common weakness was sort of a real lack of a lodge for someone who doesn't know the organization, trying to understand, okay, so that, that clear narrative about here's what we do, here's why we do it, because this is the need that we're addressing. And yes, this is the scale of what we deliver. Yes, we had 500 people walk through our doors every month, um, or 500 people that accessed our services this year. But what is the really compelling piece and what corporates and donors and supporters and volunteers all want to know is yes but what's the difference that that's making. And that's not always easy to collect, but it's about coming up with some some outcomes that you're going to prioritize whether it's reducing isolation improving confidence helping people back into work but really thinking through what's the change and then thinking about some um some proportionate and, and straightforward measurement tools that can help you demonstrate that that change is happening and that's the bit that really in our experience captures hearts and minds and, and makes organizations want to get involved with charities yeah, uh, definitely. And I, I share your views that, you know, that it's sometimes uh, you're just saying that all the changes that uh, somebody who was hungry got food, but mm. that's, that's just the, the first instance. Uh, if the person who is suffering from hunger is getting a meal every day, mm. what is the change that it creates to the person's life? They might not need to try to find the food or collect something the whole day they can mm. actually pay attention to uh, uh, do something else productive for themselves make a living and mm. so on so that is then the change they get access to their own money and eventually they don't mm. need a free meal anymore so mm. that's kind of the logical path uh, you know i this is just a, one example mm. um, so we would call them like outcomes yes yeah? absolutely like these kind of short-term changes that yes, maybe the free meal helped uh, release some time to actually look for a job, get in the job, and then they could uh, uh, start earning themselves and got out of the ultimate poverty. Mm. But then like a longer term impact, what this had on the person might require much more longer, like follow-up period. Yeah. What would mm. you say about that? What is the difference between the outcome, the short-term change, to comparison the impact yeah well that short-term change is often the easier thing to measure because you know you can you're in touch you're only ever in touch with someone often for as long as they need you so for example um i did a, a an evaluation project where we looked at the social return on investment of a um, prison mentoring project so where people leaving prison access mentoring support from volunteers in the community um, sort of through the gates so it started at three months before release and it continued for a year after release um, and 
it was very easy to track while they were engaging with it. You can track all of those short-term outcomes and they used an outcome star model, which sort of identified some of their different life factors like their family relationships, their work and employment, their kind of life, um, uh, life skills and tracked a number of different things that have been shown to be quite critical into in giving someone um, the tools they need to, to not reoffend in the future and to help them overcome their barriers. But the challenge becomes, you know, when someone's moved on and they have turned their life around, they don't necessarily want to re-engage with you or reconnect with you because that can be a reminder of some of their past negative experiences. And I think that's where we have to acknowledge that we can't stay in touch with everybody and we might only be able to sort of keep that longer term contact with a small sample of the people that we've worked with. But if we can be gathering their stories and really hear those stories of, of change that have happened, we can start to, to, um, to be able to communicate that longer term impact that we're having. Yes. And uh, I guess, um, like you said, that uh, it's hard to monitor also years and years. Mm. Some of the kind of impact comes to an effect after so many years. Mm. And it's, uh, it's a lengthy time to also uh, follow up. So um, kind of we've been uh, talking a lot uh, recently in what impact about proxy driven, you know, like a social return of investment type of mm -hmm. measuring. And even here, when I'm talking with you, I'm kind of uh, climbing into thinking that what we talk about a lot of is this kind of a proper, like a research or monitored outcome-based reporting, which is very, very much qualitative. Of course, there are numbers involved, but you know, evidence and, and comments and testimonials and you know, monitoring to change, that is not really something that you could maybe monitor in, in pro with proxies because every organization who delivers the work do it a little bit differently. Mm -mm. So it's not that, you know, if there's a homelessness charity, they everybody does the same work. They have different methods, they have different service, you know, kind of uh, offering. They have different people working, different kind of facilities and, and so on. But then when you move into the longer term impact, which is very hard to monitor after several years to get people to answer your questionnaires or even reads them. Uh, maybe that could be more than uh, evaluated with help of proxies as well. Mm -hmm. So if you have any indicator saying that we, we have now based on our sample group, like you said, of this impact, let's say 80% of people said that they have actually able to keep the work like you were saying about the you know kind of people uh, released from prison going to work then you could expect that maybe 80 percent of everybody hosted mm. had been keeping their job and then you know there are like average like ratios how much money you know the society might be saving uh you know kind of because people actually have a job and that provide themselves and they, they can keep their children and you know kind of live in a more of normal life how much mm -hmm. value that delivers to the society so Absolutely. that's kind of but mm -hmm. uh, i don't know what do you think about these proxy driven social return of investment evaluations in general well i think in order to make a calculation on uh, on return on investment and social value, you need to use financial proxies somewhere in the equation. Yeah. Um, and certainly in, our, in my experience of, of 
doing uh, social return driven evaluations, there is an amazing kind of existing bank of proxies and data that you can look at, you know, the, the wellbeing valuation project, for example, um, that, you know, has shown if we see, has able, been able to attribute a financial value to changes in someone's um, mental and emotional well-being, um, which is really, really powerful. And I think that it's that often those softer outcomes that we as small charities are, um, uh, are producing, you know, we're improving well-being, we're reducing isolation, we're helping people reconnect with their communities. Um, and Therefore, having access to proxies that can help you demonstrate the value of what you do is really important. But I think that needs to be tempered with um, one of the core principles. So we sort of adhere to Social Value UK's um, principles of, of social return reporting. Um, and one of those principles is to not overclaim. So it's just really important, you know, that in an effort to demonstrate our value that we're not sort of pulling on as many of the figures that we can to say, you know, for every pound invested, we deliver 500 pounds in social value because that's probably not realistic. But for example, for the prison mentoring project, we found that for every pound invested into their service, they delivered at least five, between five and eight pounds in social value. And it may have been more because we took very deliberately conservative um, uh, values and also conservative levels of attribution and drop off over time that, that yeah. th those outcomes didn't last. We made an assumption that they were sustained for a period beyond the project that that we were able to measure. Um, but we didn't claim for anything that we couldn't measure and and um, evidence. Yeah. And I guess that that's the you don't overclaim, but also Social Value UK talks about linking, uh, you know, qualitative, mm. uh, you know, uh, evidence with the numbers. So, mm. uh, you know, kind of what have you actually, how did you monitor your success as an uh, as a single organization that did you deliver the work uh, as it was supposed to be delivered? Uh, and as we know that if there are, you know, projects uh, not not saying that organizations really but not, are not intentional, but there are projects who might be delivering zero impact or negative impact. Mm, mm, and, and if you don't have the qualitative or this kind of a, like a uh, up-to-date specific monitoring of that specific charity project or that work, how could you know if you even succeeded in the first place? Exactly. So, so mm. there wouldn't be any social return of invest. It would be actually negative in mm. some some cases, and therefore, you know, using only proxies. If somebody gives money to someone and saying that, oh, this was the impact we delivered, without any evidence that the activities actually happened and the project was successful, uh, I and we believe definitely that that's not the uh, go uh, the way going forward mm. because everybody can throw money into very high proxy projects and then claim to mm -hmm. make some kind of an impact which might never have happened. Mm, mm, absolutely. What do you think about, uh, uh, it's it's still uh, many companies are talking to us, our clients that, oh, we want to work with um, charities who don't have much admin costs. So what what is your comment on this? Oh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> it's a bit of a bugbear of mine. Uh, I truly believe that an organization has got to be a, can't be a 
over amount of, of admin costs, but you do need admin costs to run a charity effectively. And it's a bit like the saying, have your cake and eat it. You know, you can't expect organizations to be able to measure and communicate and plan their impact really effectively if you're not prepared to invest in some of those costs of, of doing that and, and admin costs. But equally, you know, I understand that admin costs need to be proportional, but I would, thinking about the charities I support, I'm much more interested in supporting an organisation that has a clear plan of what it wants to do and why it's doing it and what it wants to achieve, that it's investing that time in monitoring and evaluation, but most importantly, learning and improving so that they can really deliver the best possible impact. And I feel like in that situation, my donation is just going to be amplified. Every pound I give them is going to deliver even more social value. Whereas if I gave it to another organisation that isn't investing in any of their admin costs, um, then I don't know that my money is giving the best possible, making the biggest possible difference that it could be. Yeah. And of course, it, it applies to any organization, even companies. If your admin is not run properly, it's not mm. a very safe place to customers to buy or investors to invest. Or, mm. or so, so it's kind of natural. But I guess this kind of a, a disbelief kind of comes from uh, some like old cases or, you know, somebody people are being paid tremendous Mm. amount of salaries and then only little portion of the donations is going to charity but I guess these 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 uh, kind of instances come to light quite quickly now and all this transparency uh, what is mm. being required and and uh, opportunity to use open data uh, improved reporting and and so on like even what what impact we pull uh, you know, open data to charity profiles and uh, social enterprise profiles, you can easily see what kind of how their books are kept, what mm -hmm. kind of a, a cost structure they've been having. So you can kind of monitor if it's in healthy level, but then you also learn about the impact, which is actually more important than the Absolutely. actual cost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe the efficient admin actually made the impact uh, improve. Bigger, I think so as well. And, you know, under admin costs comes a whole host of other things like um, having the systems and structures to do things um, efficiently, which again drives the, yes. the value that you're creating through making sure that you're investing in staff training and development so that, you know, they are up to speed with safeguarding and mental health and, um, and offering um, you know, making sure that they're delivering the highest quality services, which again drives the, the value. So it's definitely about far more than just looking to look at purely on a cost basis, I think would be a really reductive approach, but um, but a lot of other considerations. And, you know, as, as charities will attest to, and I know sort of our membership goes wider than that to, to other organizations, but, you know, we are, the level of reporting that we do is far greater than, than what um, companies are expected to do, for example. So there's a huge level of transparency and, and all you need to really do is look at, for example, the information you, you, you were saying, um, Tia, that what impact pulls through, yeah. but also drill down into the accounts and in the figures and and if you need to ask the challenging questions as part yeah. of your due diligence process. Yeah. And that's what we are now offering. We have a communication channel. We have due diligence forms and stuff mm. inbuilt to the system. So it's easy to do that, uh, you know, first bit of due diligence Brilliant. or a bit of due diligence, because mm -hmm. in many cases, that's enough. So mm. what would you say about, uh, uh, you, you mentioned that 
briefly already that uh, how you measure and report on impact should be proportionate to the size of the charity, but probably also the donation, what you're receiving. So what would this mean for, let's say, a company? A company, let's say, have skills-based volunteering maybe given or a small grant or something. What would they ex or could they expect from a small charity? How do they measure? What type of measurement should they use and how should they report? Well, I think it's about putting as little burden on the charity as possible really but I think it will be yeah commensurate to the size of the donation um, you know if you're making a significant donation that was funding the cost of delivering an entire project you might have different expectations than if you were doing some putting in maybe um, a handful of staff volunteering days for example but again I think that's just about being clear about what your expectations are and as a company thinking about well what do we want this information for and, and how are we going to use it you know is it going to form a really critical part of our social impact reporting to demonstrate our corporate social responsibility and do we have some standard metrics that we want organizations to sign up for? And if so, then it's really important to be transparent about that through the process so that charities can then make a decision about whether they're able to provide that information and whether that is proportional to, to, what, to what they perceive for the value of the, the support that's offered as well. Yeah, and I guess we mentioned this earlier that the, uh, the basic uh, purpose of measuring is actually improving the service. Mm. Uh, so you should measure those bits and pieces of work and indicators that are actually improving them your work mm. rather than if somebody wants you to monitor something else which is kind of outside of your scope. So I guess... Um, there has to be alignment mm. in, in kind of the values and the difference what we are, you know, those organizations are trying to make together, somebody as a funder and somebody then the actually beneficiary mm. uh, worker. And um, that's one aspect where we've been uh, focusing on what impact that our, our kind of machine learning bit of the work tries to combine and suggest partnerships between organizations with impact goals and shared values mm. rather than than just the cause, you yes. know, highlighting children, education, because it necessarily doesn't mean that you're still working towards the same goals. Same goal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I love that idea of the kind of the learning as well, Tia. It sort of reminded me of um, we recently had a funder who have funded us previously and came back to us for a reapplication. And one of the questions which I absolutely loved was, what were your top three learnings in the first three years of this project? And what are you going to do differently if you had continuation funding to take that learning into account? And I think, you know, sometimes those sorts of questions can just be really, really powerful to get us thinking about, well, actually, we have learned a lot. And how do we then take that forward into our future plans and demonstrate that? Oh, I love that because, uh, again, referring to our social impact reporting tool, we have that learning bit mm, that mm. Uh, charities and social enterprises are reporting back to companies what they learned. But also we have included what is the negative outcome, something negative that happened. And uh, we have written their little instructions saying that even if it's negative, it's not necessarily bad. Because mm. if there's nothing negative or some, you haven't shaken anything. If yes. you're creating a change, you should be also maybe at the 
same time having some kind of a not in a bad way negative reaction but something has been shaken mm -hmm. and that might create a need for some other a program to take place or maybe you should consider maybe changing your course a little bit so that wouldn't happen and um, and it's just like uh, as an example from my previous life that even these kind of those are this kind of a um, uh, education program for immigrant women who have been in the country for a long time but not learned the language mm -hmm. at all so they've been staying home and being mothers and stuff but really not integrated in the system at all and the children were almost like natives you know in the new country but then mm. the ladies couldn't integrate they were very lonely and you know didn't have any kind of power of their life and they then there was the charity organizations who um you know kind of start uh, teaching them the language you know cooking the like local foods going to the shops and even you know learning about the ingredients which were were different from where where these people came from and and all that so they were really empowered and could really connect with their children because they started to live the same culture as well and understanding that what were the biggest celebrations in that country were what the kids were expecting to have like any other family but it, it created then as a negative effect, dissatisfaction within husbands mm. because, and not in, because they were sort of, what is happening, you know? They were kind of left out, you know, and suddenly their family dynamics changed. Yeah. And it wasn't a negative, negative effect, wasn't it? It created a need to provide support and also some kind of program for men as well. Mm. So that's, I think that's the learning then, isn't it? And you Absolutely. can develop your service. And I always remember uh, this example. I was like, cool. I'm just still getting like good, yeah. like a positive feel. <laughs> that's a I'm really like, brilliant example. Yeah, I really yeah. like that. I think, and that's the thing, isn't it? Change doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so people no. have other people around them and their family network and their community network and there is that ripple effect of change and sometimes it's that ripple that can be a negative experience for someone else and so yeah if you can identify that and if in your if in your processes you're thinking through what those might be and getting feedback about that then you can design and develop and adjust your services to meet that need i really love there was a story from um someone who I interviewed for a case study for a, a training program for our international development charity cohort. And he really talked about um, the need to also not be afraid to delve under the numbers and just to really find out what's happening. So he gave a great example where his uh, small charity was providing recycled projects to um, uh, to um, sort of rural communities in Ghana so that children could use those bicycles to go to school. And what they were hoping to see was that actually, you know, if we change it from being a two hour walk to a, a shorter cycle ride, more children will engage with education, we'll see their attendance improve, we'll see their attainment improve. And long term, that's going to just really change their life chances, because we know how important education yeah. is. What he actually saw was that for the children that got the bikes, their attendance decreased. Um, and your immediate kind of reaction might be, oh, well, the project's not worked, they've just gone off and they're going off on their bikes and doing other things. 
but actually they sent their project manager down just to stand outside the school gates and kind of observe what was going on. And what was happening was that these kids were um, ferrying other children. So they were like having them, you know, they were on the handlebars and they were riding two people <laughs> on the saddle, ferrying to and forth all of these other kids to school. So they were operating, you know, as a free taxi service. Um, but it meant that they were then late because they were going back and forth yeah. and back and forth. They were then late and they were not getting called, you know, they were getting treated as absent for the day. Yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of also just think about trying to understand what's going on behind the numbers and be curious and actually observe things in action. Because what they were doing there was that they weren't just helping the, the kids that got the bikes, but for every one of those, there were at least yeah. three more that were benefiting from, from yeah. access to education. Yeah, beautiful yeah. story. And, mm, and I mm. guess that might happen a lot in, in many projects that, you know, people are very solidar solidar and, you know, they want to help and compassionate others and, mm. you know, as well. So, you know, you might end up, you know, kind of reaching out other people and th then you actually have a concrete evidence that you should maybe support more or then ask mm. other organizations to join this project because, it is really powerful. It's just the proof of the power mm. of the project. Uh, you mentioned that you are charity as well. And uh, you are, of course, like you said, almost like a social enterprise selling your services with and, and gaining income. But what type of uh, companies you uh, are looking to support you or partner with you um, mm. at this stage? So there's really two types of um, corporate partners we work with, I suppose. One is those that it's on a very, I would say, quite a, um, a transactional level. And I don't mean that that's not valued long-term partnerships because it absolutely is. Some of our sponsors, well, for example, we've worked with What Impact. Yes. Um, we've worked with you over a number of years. We've worked with um, companies like UK Charity Insurance and, and Premier Charity Solutions, a whole range of organisations that um, work with the small charity sector, that for them, that's their key audience in one way or another. And what that tends to be is about sort of sponsoring our events and um, uh, and um, sharing their knowledge and content through webinars um, and getting involved that way. So that's sort of one lens of it. And, and as I say, we've got some amazing valued partners that we've worked with um, through that, including yourselves. Um, the other way that um, companies engage with us is where they're looking to um, work somehow with small charities or improve the way that they work. So, for example, for one large um, UK PLC, I won't name names, but um, for one company that we worked with, um, they were really shifting the way that they raised funds and, and donated uh, two organizations so they had in the past been very focused on the sort of the public voting element and yeah. you know there's a competition and you've got a week to get as many votes and it, the, the the charity that gets the most votes wins the donation um, and they've completely switched that model because they wanted to see as a company that they were creating social impact so we did some work with them in the beginning where we were just offering advice um, and, and perspectives. So after 12 years of working in and around small charities, we know sort of what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Um, but also we can test things with our, um, our charities. You know, we can sort of share surveys or organize focus groups and, and give feedback in that way. 
Um, and then we worked, so we worked with them to help shape and design their program. But now we are also, uh, for the last two years, we've been delivering um, learning and webinars and adding to their resource library for, um, uh, for those charities that are part of their funder footprint. So I suppose that's sort of the second way, which is supporting companies and funders that want to be more accessible and open to small charities uh, to do that and then developing the learning and support around that. Yeah, and it's, a uh, you know, uh, people have different motives or companies also like different strategic uh, mm. decisions, how they want to support. And we are very much talking about the strategic decision making, mm. not just random ad hoc support and stuff because mm -hmm. it doesn't create any coherent story nor message to anyone mm -hmm. and uh, uh, but in your case you know if somebody wants to have a like a almost like a scalable change by supporting you they can support thousands of organizations absolutely in this kind of a, like a admin and social impact it might seem boring to someone because you don't have the the fluffy animal story or the story of save children, but your organization will help those organizations. Well, well. that's exactly it. I mean, we do. And, and yeah. we hear that, we see that in our feedback. You know, we, at the end of the day, we help organizations to deliver their impact more efficiently, more effectively, um, and to help even more of, of the causes and communities that they exist to serve. So it's a real um, sort of, uh, Impact amplifier, amplifier, I suppose yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I love that. Impact amplifier. The FSI, yeah. impact amplifier. Yeah. Your new, <laughs> new tagline. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Janine. And, You're very welcome. Uh, I'm sure you can be found on LinkedIn if somebody yes. wants to contact Janine Edwards and uh, the FSI. Uh, mm -hmm. So thank you so much. And um, I'll speak to you soon for sure. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Bye. <laughs> so thank you for tuning into What Impact on the Crown podcast. It's been great to have you with us. I'm Tia Sammalahti, CEO of whatimpact.com, a tech for good company with the mission to become the LinkedIn of CSR. Whether you are a company with resources to give or a charity or social enterprise looking for resources to make an impact, check out our platform and start your free trial now. Let's make a difference together.